0: Hello and welcome to the Madison Story Slam Podcast. It is I, your host, Adam Rosted, here with another great round of stories for you to hear and listen to and laugh at and maybe cringe at because our theme for this Story Slam was the good, the bad, and the awkward. So there's a lot of great stories, some bad stories, and some awkward stories. So I expect there probably will be some cringing, but that's okay. Uh, what else? Hey, our next Story Slam is October 21st. That's Saturday, October 21st. And it is the night of our annual costume contest. The theme for stories is Halloween, and the theme for the costume contest is television and film. So come dressed as your favorite movie star or character or from TV. I don't know. Whatever you want to dress as. There is a prize for the winning story and a prize for the winning costume. So come do that stuff with us. That's at the Wilmar Center on Saturday, October 21st. Doors are at 6, stories are at 7. And speaking of stories, I got to tell you, there's some great stories, the best stories. Everybody tells me we have the best stories here at Madison Story Slam. And at this one specifically that you're about to listen to, they're the best. Nobody can compare to these stories They're amazing. Uh, My Donald Trump uh, impression is not that great, but these stories are. So here they go. Please put your hands together for Shauna Youngdahl. Is
1: that good? Perfectly.
2: Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So I just want to preface this story by saying it's probably going to make you guys a little nauseated hearing it, but it's going to make me 20 million times more nauseated telling it. So the pain you guys might be feeling, at least you guys get to be drinking while you're listening to it. I'm sobering up, so this is going to be hard. Um, so, when I was younger, uh, family vacations were more abundant than they are now, unfortunately. As you get older, those things kind of sparse out, which is sad, but you know, we get older and have to do adult things. Freaking raw. Um, But when I was younger, family vacations were more of a, you know, routine, kind of yearly thing. And my family had a summertime uh, vacation house down in Tennessee, which was full of boating, you know, lake events. We had a house on the lake down in Tennessee, which was cool. It was my uncle's house, and so it would be me, my dad, my brother, my uncle, and then uh, my guy cousins. And so we'd be going down there every year, and it would be super awesome. So, uh, this one year, my dad thought it would be a cool idea for me to invite my boyfriend at the time to come in, come enjoy the summer vacation with my family. The reason I'm saying it's so nauseated is that it's an ex-boyfriend that I just don't like having to think about. So it's one of those, we've all have those exes in our lives where it's just like, god damn it, why did we make that mistake? But we grow from it, right? At least we hope we frickin' do. Um So at the time, you know, mistakes are made, but I invited him and he said, heck yes, let's go on vacation together. Um, We go on down to Tennessee and like I said, it's uh, pretty much all guys and usually the only girl in my family on these vacations. So um, all the guys like to go out and do, it's all the guys besides my, my dad and my uncle like to do all the boating activities. So that means like taking the boat out, going tubing, you know, going jet skiing, all that fun stuff. And I like to go out and do that stuff too. Um... Now, with my boyfriend down there, of course we like to go out and enjoy some family time with everybody, but we also like to enjoy some stuff and some time together with each other as well. So, the first few days, of course, we like to spend family time together. All of us would go out and enjoy the family time on the boat, you know, doing all that fun stuff, and then going out together afterwards for dinner and all that fun, boring family vacation time stuff. But then after a while, it got kind of draining as, you know, spending time with family out on the boat for hours on end typically would be. So my boyfriend one day decided, hey, why don't we just, like, hang back one day and just spend some leisurely time alone together when this big, beautiful house, let's, you know, maybe sightsee a little bit around town and do some stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. So... We ended up taking a day off and we took some time around the area just to go do some sightseeing and everything because during the day the guys like to go out and enjoy time on the lake going boating, jet skiing, all that fun stuff. And my dad and my uncle usually like to go out and go fishing. Now I'm going to pause there and I want to highlight that. My dad and my uncle usually like to spend the day to go out and go fishing. So... My boyfriend and I going around, hanging out downtown, blah, 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 blah. Then we come back to the house, and it's empty. And so we're thinking, oh, the guys are still out on the lake having their own fun, because the boys always like to spend the entire day out on the lake, as they're, you know, teenagers and young adults, it's what they like to do. So we're thinking, as a couple of young, adolescent, ruffian people, we have this whole swanky house to each other, swanky, Tennessee, exotic land. We're feeling it. (laughs) And this is disgusting me right now because I'm thinking about him, but at the time, I was really feeling him. So we're thinking, hey, you know, everyone's out on the boat. We got this whole house to each other. Let's get wild. So we're in my bedroom, which is, um, like we all have our own bedrooms in the house because my uncle's freaking rich as shit. And so he has, like we're own bedrooms for myself, pretty much all of the kids and like my dad and my uncle. So I have my own bedroom, which is on the second floor. Everyone else is on the first floor, but it's on the second floor, which is also on the same floor as the kitchen. That's also important to know. Um, so I leave my bedroom door open because the house is empty. We're little animals because we're teenagers. We're fucking going at it. We're literally freaking going at it. Freaking scratching things, freaking making noises. God, I need to stop with the details because I'm thinking of it. But just thinking of how like intense and everything, just going no holds barred back. And it's, you know, in, everything's going crazy. Skipping all over that because I don't want to put my mind there. Just laying back in bed, just enjoying the moments, being like, ah. House is still empty, everyone's still, on, still out on the boat on vacation, and that was good, thinking of what we were going to do next. When the sink starts to run, and I immediately jump up in bed I'm like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? Who the fuck is that? Remember my door is wide open. You can hear everything, you can see everything, what the fuck is that? So I, like, I, I jump out of bed, but I'm not jumping right to the door because, I mean, I'm butt-ass naked at this point. So I'm like, what the fuck is that? I'm screaming at my boyfriend, like, who the fuck is that? What the fuck is going on? He's just like wide-eyed, like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, My dick's in my hand. What the fuck's going on right now? And I'm just like creeping on towards the doorway, and I'm just like, who the fuck is that? What the fuck? Everyone's supposed to be on the boat right now. What the fuck is that? Everyone's supposed to be on the boat right now. It's like three in the afternoon, fishing's usually fucking done by, oh fuck, older people don't fucking stay out all night, on the all day on the freaking boat and go fishing, fishing's already done by hours by now, of course my dad and my uncle are back, what the fuck, so I go to my doorway, and I'm still naked, but I peer around it, and I just see my dad, washing the dishes in the kitchen. Which is, like, what, 20 feet away from my bedroom? Dear old dad. So I just turn back to my boyfriend, and I'm just like, what? My dad's just chilling around the corner, like, solemnly washing the dishes as his daughter is just being, what, I don't even know what word to describe it. I'm sorry to all the dads in the room right now. You probably got everything in your mind all screwed up about what your dear little daughter does with her lies. But I turned back to my boyfriend, and I'm like, we fucked up. <laughs> we did not think this one through at all. So I just sit in bed for a moment and I'm just like, I don't know how to handle this situation at all. Like, what do you do? The door is open. We were not silent at all. Like, obviously you can't just make up. Like, we were playing a really intense video game because, no, there's no, like, basically any internet. There's no cable in that. There's no excuses to be made. So I just take it for what it is. I put my clothes on. I walk out of the room and I just go stand next to my dad at the sink and take a dish and start scrubbing. (laughs) He doesn't really look at me or anything, but I say, how was fishing today? (laughs) He doesn't really say anything, because what do you say to your daughter after experiencing a very traumatic event like that? And honestly, we just washed dishes for the next, probably, longest ten minutes of my life, and... My dad's just one of those people that really doesn't talk about things like that, and while I'm kind of thankful for that, maybe we should have talked about that, but, um, you know, who knows how it affected him. To me, I'm still lingering some thoughts with it, but... He can be glad I broke up with the boyfriend, not necessarily because of that, for many other reasons, but he can be thankful that that doesn't happen anymore, not in that house. He probably burned the bed sheets after that. Thankful for that, but... Um, yeah, it was definitely awkward in that house. I can't imagine how many other people in the family he told, but um, yeah, I'm sure we've all had similar experience in that, but uh, I don't know what he saw, how he felt, and how it's affected him, but he's a trooper, and he still calls me his daughter to this day, and I thank him for it. Thank you guys.
0: Well, you don't know what your dad thinks about it, but I do, Uh, and he's here today. Come on out! Uh, Our next storyteller, I believe it's her second time telling a story here, she's currently looking through her food, but her name is Charlie Rowe, so please put your hands together for Charlie Rowe!
3: Okay, so I was looking through my fish tacos, hoping to get sober before I came up here. That's not going to happen. One of the things I love about Story Slam, don't count my time yet, because I just want um, to say thank you to Adam and the lovely lady back there. Because, well, yes, her name is Ashley. I was afraid I was going to slur on the (laughs) she. So, (laughs) because they give us this platform, they give us, um, it sounded very much like... um, from the previous storytellers, that this is cathartic for other people as well. So um, if this is your first time, just understand we're kind of like comedians. We bleed on stage, and it's good for us. So good, the bad, and the awkward. And I just want to say, it's really good that my mom and my mom and my dad and my brother are here tonight. Um, That's really good. What's really bad is I'm going to tell a lot of things that they don't want to hear, and it's awkward for me, so um, can I just, this is purely um, social research for myself, can you raise your hand if you know what your Myers-Briggs is, please? (laughs) I fucking love it. Okay, so you guys will get this, okay, so I'm an INFJ time and time and time and time and time again, because I'm kind of like, okay, this stuff is all kind of like not real, but the personality profile that I am wants to know other, everybody else's personality profile so that I can not only determine how to relate to you, but I can tell you how to understand me. So some really bad things have happened in my life. I'm really not sure. I've seen way too much death, way too much blood. Um, within the last year, actually as of last night, but within the last year, since October, I know 21 people Um, If we play the game of six degrees, they're all less than two degrees. I know 21 people who've committed suicide. So that kind of weighs heavy on me. The last one I had to deal with was last night. Um, The one before that was a gentleman who reached out to me through something that I do in the community and he committed suicide on my birthday, which I thought was so horrible until I realized that it was his 50th also. Well, not my 50th. And um, I'm 41, so the Mrs. Robinson reference, I had to kind of, like, take it in stride. <laughs> yeah. So, the first time I was here was on my birthday. I do a birthday bucket list. But there's some really good things that have happened since I moved back to Madison for being gone for almost 20 years. I was sitting in the kitchen in my brother's house in DeForest, talking to some family members, and, like, all this stuff had happened and somebody made the comment because I've worked so many places and I've done so many things. I know so many people. If you tell me a name, I'm like, I think I know them. And it takes a couple minutes and I can get pretty close within six degrees of why we know each other. So we were, my friend made this statement. They said, you know, Charlie, if you got everybody that you know in the same room, you guys could do amazing things for humanity And that kind of happened. And we're doing really good things. We're reaching out to people, suicide survivors, and mental health um, people. You're all mental health people, by the way. You're all affected by it. Um, Whether it's your mental health state or not, you know somebody that has Alzheimer's or bipolar or self-medicating in some form. So there's really good things that have happened since I moved back to Madison one of the bad things. My family's in town. That's not a bad thing. That's just how I'm prefacing the next paragraph. My family is in town and I think they've been here since last Friday. Saturday? Is it Saturday? Saturday was also the day that my two and four-year-old children had to go spend time in Texas for the first time with their father. And I'm not happy about that, but that's a sidebar. So it's been a little rough this week, but I got a text from my father. He's not going to like probably that I'm saying this out loud, but it it started off like, I think you're avoiding me. No, that's a good thing because like, I appreciate my father's honesty just being able to say, hey, are you doing this? Because don't we all wish our dads could communicate directly with us so we knew how to respond instead of holding everything like, I don't know what they need from me right now. But I said, no, I'm not really avoiding you. I want to talk to you. I'm doing it right now. So this is all new to them, too, which makes it more awkward than you know. Um, So we're going to get back to the bad. My brother just said, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So we're going to recap the last year really fast, and I don't know where it lands in good, bad, or awkward. But um, we were talking about me being diagnosed with first Stage, colon cancer, but I wasn't. I didn't have it. They found out I have something else. And thank you, Vietnam, and Agent Orange. That's awesome. But it means it's also paid for by the government. So that's good, you know. So that alone, just if you guys don't know much about, like, biochemistry or anything like that, when you have things that I have been told that I have and apparently have had any much since birth but like a super rare form of it which doesn't show on tests so I've had it for like 40 years without them knowing when you find out that like all of your like monthly madnesses and all of your um what I used to call my incapabilities of like handling shit <laughs> When you realize that like it's literally bio, it's in your body, it's okay, this is happening to you, so this level is here and this level's here, and you realize that it all plays into what's going on in your head, and, but the funny thing is that's not where life ends. It doesn't end inside of whatever's going on in you. It ends when you have to go out and you have to talk to people. I'm super, if you do know your are Myers-Briggs, I'm actually like the worst introvert you will ever meet. I don't shut up. I don't. Okay. That was my mom, Lisa. She's like, we know. Testify. We know. She doesn't shut up. It is purely masking. It's purely, I'm going to talk about a bunch of stuff and make you feel like you know me because it's so intimate, but you don't know me at all because I'm really guarded. Hi. I'm really looking forward to his meat man story. So whether or not we're, we're going to get back on track to awkward and make my family feel awkward. Um, we're going to recap, so this is going to go really fast. I did do something very positive with all the pain I've had over the last years. I've been here twice, Adam, and I've t- talked about how I was abused for, in a marriage over 13 years by a preacher. I talked about how my next husband was abusive and was literally answering I'm not lying. You can't make this stuff up. While I was giving birth to our son, he left to get a burger the day we packed everything in our car and moved back to Wisconsin (laughs) he I came across his texts because you know you do that when things like whatever happened happened he left that room while I was giving birth to our second child to meet a woman who placed an ad on Craigslist if you are a I don't want to be racist but whatever this is what it said if you're a latino whose wife is overbearing and you want somebody to blah 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 we're going to use that a lot i think storytellers use blah 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 when it's too hard yeah that's literally what i came up here and that was in my head and that's really hard to deal with still and they're with him right now in a room in a house where every person in there but one has been molested by a family member and I'm supposed to be okay with that. So I've spent probably six hours with my family since they came here last week because everything else is too much for me and I can't, I'm sorry, I deeply apologize. I love you too. I can't do the small talk. I can't sit around a fire and be like, Packers are playing. I'm very glad they're playing. I did catch a little bit of the game the other day. No, text... I don't know if you know much, but Dallas is not. (laughs) Anyhow. So we're going to go to the next event. I started, you know, because you know in times that you need to talk to somebody beyond yourself, beyond your circle. So as life is, it kind of got funny. I met somebody that I really, after everything I knew, was probably the one person on the face of this earth that got me that I wasn't afraid to say anything to. But unfortunately, what I didn't catch on to, this is a sidebar too, and I'm saying this slightly tongue in cheek, but when you are in a very closed in religious, slightly cultish community for almost 20 years of your life, you miss a lot. So even the Seinfeld reference, I miss a lot. So while I'm 41, I kind of think I'm like 25 in my mentality as far as like social relating and a lot of things. Okay, that's probably 35 is closer. But when you're in a very close community and then you have to relate with people, I miss signals. And I kind of think it's a gift to miss signals. I read people very well. But when it deals with myself, I miss signals because I want to believe that everybody out there that has made the same mistakes that I have is capable of recovery. I want to believe that everybody out there who is kind of like, my mommy's here, effed up. I got to say effed up because my mommies are right there. But I just want to, I want to believe in humanity. And it's not always true. The next person who was really probably going to be my life partner turned out to be more of an addict than I could have ever imagined. And dealing with them, it, oddly enough, it makes me really strong. It makes me really strong to realize that every, oh, let me say it this way, perspective. Perspective. Whatever shit you're going through, I had a lady at work tell me it was very cold, but it was very true. She said, Charlie, we all have shit we're dealing with. I have the weight of suicides. I have the weight of a friend of mine committing suicide on our birthday just a few weeks ago. I have people, because of what I've decided to do within the mental health community, I have people that are reaching out to me. And that's a burden when you have your own mental health to deal with, but medication's good. Wisconsin's actually very proactive for that. But... Whatever you're dealing with, don't be afraid to use your own voice. Um, One of the things I do is try to build a stigma-free community, and I try to start conversations where you're not afraid to say, this is who I am, this is what I'm dealing with, and I'm just talking to you. I don't need response. So I encourage you guys to keep telling your own stories. By the way, because I just had my vocal cords... Don't count this on my time. This... because. because one of my adventures recently was being attacked and having my vocal cords broken. I recently learned that those of us who have been in the teaching profession and chronic smokers all have like this goopy stuff on our vocal cords. I said, I'm the teacher variety. I don't really smoke cigarettes. So I'm telling more and it's very awkward. I'm walking away now. Good night. (laughs) Our next
0: storyteller has been around for like... I mean, he's been around for a long time. He's hes kind of old. <laughs> he's not. He no, it's, a, it's gentle ribbing. Uh, but he's been at Story Slam for... Is it like three years now? Yeah. Uh, this is your third year doing it, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I honestly kind of look at him as the Story Slam mascot. He is like... He is like the epitome of what we do. That's how I feel. Uh, He's really awesome, and he's really passionate about storytelling. You can catch him around Appleton trying to make things happen, and he often does, and I think it's really awesome. Uh, I've built you up enough, I feel like. Uh, His name is Marty the Meatman Sosnowski, so please clap for Marty the Meatman (laughs) Sosnowski!
4: This really is like coming home. When I came back last year, I had kind of taken the summer off and, and didn't really do a whole lot of storytelling. I did a one-man show, and that was enough. But I had really, but this summer, I did a lot. I have did a few months. I've been to a storytelling conference. I had my own show. So I feel like I'm all warmed up for this. But I'm going to tell you guys something right now. I've done a lot of shows now. I've been to a lot of different places. The Madison Story Slam is the best, and that includes my own Story Slam. This is the best Story Slam in the Midwest. And let's give it up for Adam and Ash, who do an unbelievable job. That man right there is the best host in the business, flat out. I've seen I've seen twenty hosts now, and that man is the best. I'm telling you what. Okay, tonight's story. I got this. I have this covered. The good, the bad, and the awkward. Only, for me, it's gonna be SpongeBob Day. We're gonna have opposite day. My story starts out awkward, bad, and ends up good. And, and I've really been wanting to tell this story because I, this, is, this story goes to all the fans and to Mel. Last year, Mel won a David Bowie photo. For those of you who don't know, I used to be a rock and roll photographer. And I gave away a David Bowie photo last year that Mel won. And I told her, someday you've got to hear the story behind this photo, because it's a really great story. And tonight's the night, so she's going to get to hear the story. So, like I said, I used to be a rock and roll photographer. By, by the year 95, I was pretty well established, and could get photo passes for just about anybody. And here on the schedule comes up David Bowie and Nine Inch Nails in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm like, sweet. I go, I'm going to make some money on this. So I call in, call in for my passes. Everything's cool. By by this time, I'm pretty well established. So they, they were only giving out a couple passes for Bowie. They were giving out many passes for Nine Inch Nails. So I get to the venue. And... The pass is, my Nine Inch Nails pass, photo pass is there, and my David Bowie pass isn't there. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because in that business, if it wasn't there when you got there, you weren't gonna get it. Because you had to go through management, you had to go through artist relations, you had to go through a lot of people to get a photo pass. And if it's not there, you're not gonna get it. There's no way, because there's no way they can contact enough people to, to get the pass straightened away. And I was just like, oh well, it is what it is. Now, this is where the awkward part of it comes in. I was working in Cincinnati. I was working for a magazine called Everybody's News, an alternative and news magazine. I had quit them because a group of people had broken off to start a new magazine because we weren't making enough money, and they wanted to make more money. So I originally went with them to make some more money, and I was making more money, but I also soon learned that, that if you're a staff photographer for a, for a magazine or a newspaper or any publication, guess what? You don't own your negatives. You, they own your negatives because they're paying you to take them. They're paying for the film. They're paying for everything. You don't own them. You own the, you own the copyright to it that, that it was your... You actually get photo credit, you, but you don't own them. And I went, I don't like this very much. I, didn't, I was making more money, but I didn't like it that much. So when the David Boy thing came up, I ran into my old, my old music editor from Everybody's News, and she was asking me if I was happy, and I said, no, not really. And she said, well, you'd be interested in coming back. And I'm like, Sure. So, David Bowie concert, she said, can you get photos of Bowie? And I said, I'll be at your office on Monday morning with the photos. Well, I get to the concert, and both editors are there. And they both come up to me, and they're like, I'm going like, oh boy, this guy doesn't know I'm quitting, and oh my God, this is kind of awkward. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, you know, I'm having it. So I talk to both of them, and everything's cool. So... I go backstage, because I tracked down, track down the tour manager to see if there was any chance, any chance that I could get these David Bowie photos, and, I, and he, was in a, he was in a room in back, and he had some big problem going on, because he's on the phone just screaming at some guy, just you fucking ass, and it was something bad, there was some big problem going on, and I don't know what it was. And I knocked on the door, and he's like, what do you want? And I'm like, I told him the story about my photo pass, and he goes, there's nothing I can do. He said, you know there's nothing I can do. And I had the names of everyone I had talked to, and he goes, well, it looks like you talked to the right people, but he goes, there is nothing I can do for you. He said, I have enough problems right now. And I was like, okay, well, thanks anyway, you know. So things went from awkward to bad. And I'm like, ah. And I thought, well, at least I'm going to get photos of 9-inch nails, and I can make some money off of that. So I'm standing there, he closed the door to the office, and I'm standing there, and I look, and here comes David Bowie, walking down. I'm in an area where I'm not supposed to be, because I tracked down, and I just thought, you know, I think I'm just gonna stand here for a minute. (laughs) And I just stood there, and that guy's arguing on the phone, he is not paying attention to anything, and David Bowie walks up to me, and he thought he was coming there for whatever problem was going on, and he thought I was the problem. And he walks up to me and he goes like, well, what's up, you know? And I'm like, I'm just freaking out. I mean, this is fucking, David Bowie is standing right there. And I go, no, 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 no. I said, that's not me. I said, that's not my problem. I said, I told him real quick about the PhotoPass thing and I was like, you know, whatever, it's all messed up. And, and I had, I, I carried portfolio with me. I had my portfolio with me. Said, David Bowie, do you, you want to look at my pictures? And he said, sure. And so then I'm standing there going, this is David Bowie, and he's looking at my pictures. <laughs> and he's paging through the pictures, and he gets to right here. He gets to right here, and he stopped on, he stopped on this page, which is Lemmy from Motorhead, and Anthony from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now, first of all, he was good friends with Lemmy. And I remember he was he said, he's just sitting there and he goes, oh, my old geezer friend, he's a, he's a good rocker, you know? I wish I could do an English accent, because he had an English accent but and I can't do it. I wish I could do it. And then the chili peppers were fairly, fairly new at this time as far as making it big, and he had met them, and he goes, and it's a hand-painted black and white, and he thought that was really cool. And he goes, wow, this is really good stuff. And I'm like, now he likes my pictures are you fucking kidding me i mean it really i'm just sitting there going like oh my god i can't believe this this is fucking ziggy stardust standing right here this far away and i'm like oh my god and then all of a sudden the tour manager opens up the door and he's like david and he had to go deal with the problem and he walks in and i just stood there and i'm like Wow, you know, when people ask me, well, what was, what were you thinking about at that time? And the only way I could really probably describe it is like if Ash and Adam go to church tomorrow and meet Jesus backstage, like it had, it had to be. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not a religious guy, but this is about as close as I think I'm getting at this point. And I mean, it's just the way. I mean, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe. And he liked my pictures. Well, one thing when you're, a, when you're a rock and roll photographer and at a big show like that, you get three songs to shoot your pictures, and they kick you out of that pit. And, and it's understandable that, you know, there's people down there shooting cameras, they, they don't like it, so they give you three songs and you got to get out. Well, right at that moment, the lights go down for Nine Inch Nails, and those are the only three songs I'm going to get, and i got to get out to the front. So I thought, you know, I don't know. I opened up the door to the office and I said, Mr. Bowie, I said it was awesome to meet you. And I said, I hope we meet again someday. You know, and I said, but I got to go because I got three songs to make money and that's all I'm going to make tonight. And it was awesome to me. And I shut the door and I ran up to the front. And I got my Nine Inch Nails photos and I was just like, wow, you know, I don't give a shit about that photo pass. I just don't care because who the hell gets to meet David Bowie, you know? So, I come back. And I'm packing up my stuff, and I was always smart enough to get, a, get tickets from the people who gave away the photo passes, because otherwise they threw the photographers out. So I was going to stay, but I was packing up my stuff, so I was going to leave my camera gear backstage, and one of the roadies comes and gets me, and he's like, hey, tour, Tommy, tour manager, wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh boy, he is not happy that I stayed there and talked to David Bowie. I just thought, oh my God, he's going to chew my ass, and I'm going to get in trouble, So I go walking back there by Tommy, the tour manager. He comes walking out of the office, and he hands me this, which is the David Bowie photo pass. And he goes, Mr. Bowie asked me to give this to you. And I was like, sweet. And if anyone would like to see photos from that night, my friend, Matt, my good friend, great fan of storytelling, I gave him a photo tonight and Mel also has a photo of David Bowie, so if you want to see one of the photos from that night just ask them, that's a photo of Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails and, and Mel has a photo of Bowie. And I just, I want to say this is so awesome, as everyone has said, it's not easy to come up here and tell stories, it's not. And, and this wasn't any kind of serious story or anything like that, but it was a great moment in my life. And and this is it's like this is really like therapy for us to do this. I think that anyone any stor- good storytellers that come up here will agree. And I thank all of you for coming and listening. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you Marty. Marty always says super kind things about me, and I, do, I just don't think they're true. I, th- I, believe that, I believe that he means them, I just, I just don't think they're accurate. Uh, by the way, Marty, I have met Jesus backstage. <laughs> I, I had been wanting something backstage at church for a while, and, and he, he gave it to me. And I said, I guess it's true what they say, Jesus saves. Because he was saving it for me. Stand up comedian i 'm a host <laughs> anyway, uh, our next storyteller, I could say just as many good things as I did about Marty about her that I, how do i s- i 'm lost uh, yeah. she 's fantastic. Uh, what I said about Marty applies, I think you are also the epitome of what Story Slam is and what a storyteller is uh, she 's wonderful she 's great. Please put your hands together for Mel Hammond.
1: Thanks Marty, I've been waiting to hear that story for like, since I've known you. (laughs) So thank you very much and thanks for the photo. Last spring I uh, was on my way to the UW Odyssey graduation. Um, I was a tutor for the program last year. Um, It's a program for adults who are going back to school. Um, It's like a, a year of a humanities class for adults um, at the poverty level or below um, who are going back to school. Um, so I was a tutor for them once a week. And I was really excited to go for their graduation ceremony, um, listen to them, share some of their work, and then congratulate them at the end um, and like meet up with my favorite students. So I was running a little bit late for the ceremony as usual. Um, I think it, it was on a weekday night um, luckily, I had already had to dress up for work that day, so I already had, like, graduation clothes on. It was in the Union South, and parking was horrible around there. Um, so I ended up parking, like, a little less than a mile away, um, pre- pretty late. <laughs> so I was, like, in a rush to get there, but I was in my nice clothes, so I didn't, I didn't want to get too sweaty. So I was, like, speed walking. The other, the complication that day was that I had a sinus infection, so I wasn't feeling too hot and also I was really congested. So I'm walking, I'm feeling a little flustered, a little sweaty, a little like swishy, because I got like the swishy black pants on. and I just feel like all this congestion in my face. And so I look around, I'm on a side street, there, there aren't any people near me, no cars driving by, So I just turn my head to do the classic snot rocket into the grass. (laughs) So I I blow into the grass and um, I I feel the snot leave my nose um, but I don't see it. (laughs) And then I... I, like, I feel a little spray in my hand. So I'm like, oh, it must have just been been a little bit that I got out. But then I realize that there's something, like, dangling on my nose. I've sent a clothesline of snot from my nose to my dress pants. It's just, like, giant and dripping. (laughs) And there's nothing to do but, like, shake my head away so it snaps down and... (laughs) just covers my thigh. <laughs> it's also all, it's like a little bit on my hand, but then I like scoop it off with my hand. And I look around again, and then I wipe it on the grass. And then I like do another swoop, because that's how much snot there was, and I rub it on the grass again. <laughs> And then I look at my phone, I'm like, I am running late. It's like two minutes till the event begins. So I'm speed walking, like looking down, seeing what the drying status is on the snot. The thing with like shiny pants is that the snot shows up way worse than it would for like jeans. So, okay, here's my plan. I have a plan. I'm gonna run into the union and then first bathroom I see, I'm gonna dart in. So that's what I do. I get to the union. I'm, I'm definitely late at this point. I go to the bathroom, I, I take a bunch of paper towels, and I wet them under the sink. And then I just like wet the whole leg, start like dabbing it and then scraping it, and then what I have is a wet spot with a snot stain in the middle, covered in those little balls of paper towels. <laughs> So I turn on the water at full blast and start scooping the water onto my leg to try to just like wash the whole thing off. I turn on the hand dryer and just like balance my leg under there. What I have is just a a snot stain still with paper towel balls all over it. It's very distinct. So I'm... At this point, I have to decide whether I'm gonna to go to the ceremony as planned or run away in shame. <laughs> and I choose to do the noble thing and support the students that I've worked with all year, and I go to the ceremony. I sneak in the back. I'm kinda of doing like a weird limp so that like my left leg is a little behind the right, so like, depending on the people I'm looking at, like they might not see the, the snotty leg. So I I sneak past the people handing out the brochures, and I I go into the back. There's one seat in the very back, and I slip into it. The ceremony is already underway. Um, But I I sit there, and I listen to the students share their poetry and um, their testimonies of how great the, the program was. And then it ends, and it's time to stand up and mingle. So, I make a beeline for the food so that I can have a plate to artfully hold down by my thigh. The status on the snot, it's the same as it was when we started. Um, So, I have some artful food. I'm, you know, chatting with some of the other tutors, just like reaching pretty far down to get my, my crackers and my grapes. And then I see that the students are coming down from the stage. And I I know which ones I want to go and congratulate and hug, um, so I eat slowly enough so that I won't have to give up my my plate um, because it's a, a valuable prep. Um, so I head over to um, two students who are together, and I like give them one armed hugs. I congratulate them. They shake my hand. Um, you know we chat a little bit. So I'm eating eating the food. Um, I, I go meet another student, we do another hug, I eat a few more grapes, a few more crackers, my plate's empty. So I kinda I continue holding it down by my leg, but there's nothing on it yet, so I know that time is limited. So I'm I'm starting to I, I've met all the students that I, I wanted to meet and congratulate. So I'm heading towards the door to get out of there. And then I see the director of the program coming up. And he says, Mel, stop, I have something to give you. And I say, oh, Kevin, it, it's so good to see you. Um, I had a really great time with the program. He's like, here's a card. We hope to see you back next year. Like, just thanks for all your help. Can I take your plate? <laughs> and so I say, thanks for the card, Kevin. Here's the plate. It's not stained, just exposed for everyone to see. He looks down, there, there is connection between his eyes and the snot stain, and then we part ways, and I run out of there. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Mel. Our next storyteller used to call me snot stain, so please put your hands together for my dad, David Rosted.
5: And we don't look alike at all, right? You know, it's like we don't have any similarities. I have three really, uh, for me, embarrassing moments that have been a part of my life at different stages of my life. One was uh, we put on a concert uh, in my little small town of DeForest back in uh, the mid-1970s and we called it It Can't Happen Here. Now we really thought we were putting on the next Woodstock. <laughs> I mean that's what we believed. We thought we were putting on the next next Woodstock and so we had all these garage bands and local kind of bands that were there and, and uh, if you lived during the mid-70s you know that Smoking dope, uh, you know what? My kids always tell me don't call it dope, Dad, because that's heroin. Uh, but we called it dope back then. And uh, so that's what we called it. And we're sitting all around in a circle, and, and we're passing the pipe and passing the joints and everything else. And uh, my dad is a, uh, was a, uh, a part of the village board. And he was an individual who would want to come down and check things out and make sure things were going on. He was the chairman of the safety committee. And there I am with all my friends in this circle of 10 people passing a bowl around. And there comes my dad walking by as I am passing the bowl to the person next to me. And he is hes like that's my son <laughs> and I just went hi dad <laughs> the evolution of my life though takes me to being a pastor and as a pastor I, I didn't smoke dope as a pastor okay I'm going somewhere with this as an associate pastor at a church in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, one of my jobs was to go to the front door after the service and greet people as they were walking out. And one of the things that I would do when I greeted them was, you know, to acknowledge who they were and if they were new to the church and, and uh, welcome them. And there are two really embarrassing things that happen when you're doing that. One is this. Oh, when are you expecting... did that more than once. <laughs> the other one was this woman who was obviously older than the young man that she was with and introduced herself to me and I shook her hand and said hello. And, uh, and I said, oh, and is this your son? <laughs> no, this is my fiance. <laughs> I took two years off from pastoring, and I'm no longer pastoring anymore. And now I am a vacuum cleaner salesman. Hoover. Kirby. I, I know everything about vacuums in three weeks that you can possibly know in three weeks. And the interesting thing, though, is women hit on vacuum cleaner salesmen. So earlier this week I was at our west side store. We have two locations and I was at our west side store and this 40-year-old blonde Bo Derrick type you know, well, wait a minute. Dan, you understand when I say Bo Derek, right? No. For any of you who are too young to remember, Bo Derek was sort of like the perfect ten, you know. So, and uh, this forty-year-old Bo Derek woman comes into the store, and she just needs a quick fix on the vacuum, and I, I take care of it, and I do this thing with the vacuum, and I go, I go. Well, that was easy. And she goes, I love to be easy. <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: You know what I wish was easy? Finding out something to do after I get done at a show where I've had a great time, but I'm not ready to go home yet. That's why I want to take some time to tell you about my friends at Marcus Promotions. Steve Marcus and his team offer a simple solution to the problem of being unaware of events in Madison. Through the Footlights program, Marcus Promotions connects showgoers from the theater with their community. Not just a traditional playbill, it includes event listings, restaurant guides, performance art news, and even a sassy headshot or two. The team at Marcus Promotions serves businesses and nonprofits that want to connect with these audiences. American Family Dream Bank, UW Health's Carbone Cancer Center, and dozens more have utilized the publication to reach the philanthropic, the influential, and the affluent. Their playbills are personally handed to a captive audience that will see your ad when they open it. And when the curtain closes on another incredible performance, they'll know exactly where to go next. And they also support cool things like Madison Story Slam, too. If you want to reach a bigger audience, are a performer, or even a showgoer, visit www.footlights.com today, and don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. A big thanks to Marcus Productions for supplying the raffle prize for our October 21st Story Slam at the Wilmar Center. They gave us a couple of tickets to raffle off for Coral Kingdoms and Empires of Ice, which is a Nat Geo Live production. It's happening at the Capitol Theater at inside the Overture Center on November 14th. And so we've got some tickets for that. We'll be raffling off, as always, Raffle tickets are 2 for $3, 4 for 5. You can buy them when you get to Story Slam or at any point before we actually do the raffle. And uh, again, thank you so much to Marcus Productions. Check them out footlights.com. Support local artists, support local business. We love you. All right. Let's go back to some stories. Annie, I I don't know how to say your last name, so I'm going to butcher it if that's okay. Uh, But on Facebook, she signed up, and her name on Facebook is Annie Pants Olschlager. So give it up for Annie Pants Olschlager.
6: It to my ankles. I thought that would be better. Um, so this is my first story slam. And I've, I've, I've done more comedy and things like this, so this is going to be a different, a much different realm. Hopefully, the amount of beers will be helping with the with the, the storytelling. So. So I feel like the, the uh, theme for tonight, especially the awkward part, I, I thought, well, I, I feel like I have a lot of things I could pull from, but which, which one would really take the cake, I suppose. And I'm a cake eater. <laughs> and so to give context to the story, I grew up on um, a farm, and our nearest neighbor was like a mile away we're a very religious family. Um, when you got in trouble, uh, my, my, you would say sorry to my mother. And she would say, don't say sorry to me. Say sorry to him. And she would, she would point to a picture of Jesus. like but the the one where he has like a glowing heart, you know, and it's like super creepy, and it's like i don 't even want to look at this, like let alone say sorry for what i didn't do to the picture I did to you, but that's your rule's your house, and I don't want to live in the streets so uh, we were we we were had all of the you know hardcore uh Christian Values, you know, save yourself before marriage, and, and uh, uh, love God, and go to church camp, and that's the only camp I'll pay for, and <laughs> like uh, all these sorts of, of things, you know? And so, uh, given that, I'm, I'm one of four um, humans in my family, <laughs> and uh, my oldest brother is 11 years older than me and he lives in Wisconsin, and I, and I asked Sean several times, he's not going to be able to hear this, right? And she's like, no, 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 be fine. It'll be fine. They're religious. They won't listen to it. And, uh, and so, um, you know, he's 11 years older than me, and, but they were, he was of the same vein, you know, and so he met his, his wife in college, and, and, uh, and all this jazz, and I was a bridesmaid in their wedding, and all this, you know, whatever, and, but they saved themselves for marriage and so the one day we was my mom and I and my sister and my sister-in-law and she's we go in the car to go to the mall or whatever the hell else we we did (laughs) in Milwaukee that was vanilla and um we're driving and she decided that it would be like a really great time to talk about how She went to the gynecologist like um, a couple of months before getting married to my brother to make sure that everything was okay down there because she had never gone before. Now I am like the most uh, late bloomer. Like I'm I'm several seasons after the fact of when it should have came up from the ground. I didn't like hugging people, I didn't like hearing anybody talk about whatever, like very, very closed, and so she starts to talk about this gynecological visit, which was already like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, you know, like you have that voice in your head that's like, "No! no, 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 fuck, 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 the car is driving, the car is driving, you're looking, you're like, can I open the door and roll out? I just want to get the hell out of this car. Oh, my God. She's still talking. And so so she says, And the doctor said that my vagina was too tight and that I needed to do finger exercises. And I thought, Fucking hell, I can't can't get out of the car. I'm looking in the window out there, seeing it's probably about 35 miles per hour. I could oh. I could tuck and roll, I could get the hell out of there. Like I just, it was, you know, and I'm looking at my sister and she's like, what the fuck and we're like, what the fuck? Just uncomfortable. And so then she's, I can do these finger exercises. And and then and then I did them, and and a couple of months later I was able to fit a tampon in there. And I called my friend, and I was like, I can finally go swimming on my period. And why would you tell us? Why would you tell us? I was like 10. Like, I, I like, the, I, I seriously, I was like, you know, I, I have other awkward stories and I'm, a, and I'm a terrible person with can't tell like social things sometimes or whatever and it turns out bad. But like this one was one of those where it was just the awkward stain, like, you know, shit stain in the underpants and you'll never get it out. You might as well burn them. Like like it just it was the worst. One of the worst, most awkward. If I could have crawled out of every fucking cell in my body, I would have. You know, like thank you for letting me know that your vagina's big enough for my brother to fucking plow you now. So that's that's my story, that's all.
0: Uh, th- uh Thank you. I <laughs> Thanks, Annie. <laughs> uh up next is a brand new storyteller for Story Slam. I'm going to adjust this real quick. Just bear with me, people.
5: <laughs>
0: I think Paul, this is about your head. Uh, Our next storyteller, it's his, I think your first time even at Story Slam, but for sure his first time telling a story, his name is Paul Abramson. Please put your hands together for Paul Abramson.
7: It's going to be hard to follow that one night. This is the right height. Um, I have have two questions for all of you before I tell you my story. But first, I want to tell you a story. (laughs) Um, A dozen years ago, when I was the president of the Wilmart Neighborhood Center we were trying to figure out how we would fill this place on a Saturday night when it was often empty. And so just pers- as a personal experience, having spent way too many years on the Wilmar board, it is extremely heartening to me to see this anything happening here, let alone something where people are having such a great time here. So... You <laughs> Um Once upon a time when I was a college student, I worked my way through college as a rock and roll disc jockey. This is my radio voice. So I won't be doing anything like, um, what's your name again? Adam was doing with the Sunday at New York National Speedway. I won't be doing that because I didn't work in that kind of radio. I worked in progressive rock radio. It was a wonderful time in the 1970s after I escaped to Wisconsin. I'm, I'm not originally from Wisconsin and you may hear in my voice some um, dialect, sort of liberty things uh, in how I pronounce certain words and if you do, you'll win the prize. So here are the two questions. Number one, how many of you uh, grew up in a city of more than 50,000 people? Well, that's good, that's about half the group, that's good. Okay, and how many of all of you have been to Newark, New Jersey? And how many of those of you who've been to Newark, New Jersey have been anywhere but at the airport? (laughs) Well, this is good, This this is more than I expected. Okay, so I'm originally from Newark, New Jersey This t shirt is the first t shirt I've seen in my entire life that said Newark on it and didn't say something like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Okay, so I'm very proud to be wearing a t shirt that does not, you know, use the language of my colorful youth. (laughs) However, the story does go back to my colorful youth, and it's not that nothing interesting has happened to me since then. Uh, In fact, so many interesting things have happened to me that I started writing my memoir about 15 years ago, and it's called Every Single Job Since Dirt, because I've had almost 50 jobs, and I can't seem to get done writing it, because more stuff keeps happening, (laughs) And I I just started a new job about four months ago. But I will tell you this one, pun intended, sobering note. A year and a half ago, I gave up smoking pot after smoking pot for 50 years, okay? And I have all my limbs, and I've never been to jail. (laughs) And I don't drink alcohol anymore. I've had my share. Enjoy yourselves. So imagine, if you will, I'm going to take take my hat off. The hat has nothing to do with the outfit except that it's red. Um, when I was a teenager, imagine me, uh, probably in the same kind of outfit here, without the uh, support socks, um, with fifty years taken off. And probably about 100 pounds off. I know that's going to be easy for you to imagine, so just you know, imagine that it could be. And I'm 16 years old, and I go to uh, a big high school, one of seven high schools in Newark, New Jersey, and it's in the dominantly Jewish section of Newark, New Jersey. And right down the street from our high school is the county community center, Jewish community center. And it's called the YMYWHA of Essex County. And if you've never heard of a YMHA, it's because you didn't live anywhere where there are any Jews. So it means what you think it is. It's Young Men and Young Women's Hebrew Association. They didn't try and put us in two different buildings like they do at the synagogue where they keep the men and the women apart. At the community center, we could all hang out together. So... um, the Y was this great place where us early edition latchkey kids—you know—that means both your parents worked when you were—you know—going to school. Uh, we hung out there. Um, we went to summer camp there. We uh, learned to play basketball there. We played. Um, I'm going to mention the names of some games that have fallen out of the popular culture a long time ago: ping pong, uh, <laughs> knock hockey. Okay. Uh, these played these games, you know, a while away in the hours, keep from fighting with each other, and um, we had dances there in the auditorium with live bands. When we were 16 years old, you know, big city. The city is 750,000 people. It's 30 miles away from New York City. You know, it's a big metropolitan area, and there was there were great bands there even when we were in high school. So it's a Saturday night, and we're all hanging around in front of the Y, goofing off, waiting for the doors to open because the band will start and the, and the dance will begin. And why is this a story about the good, the bad, and the awkward? Well, I would say that everything about my life has to do with the good, the bad, and the awkward. I mean, fitting in to Wisconsin uh, tavern culture, Coming from a part of the world where 50 years ago tavern culture wasn't in charge and coming to a place where even 50 years ago it was in charge, that was pretty awkward, okay? But obviously I'm still here and I even talk like you most of the time. (laughs) So um, there we are on the front steps of the Y, standing around. Some of us in our pressed khakis, wearing our sport jacket and our Madras shirts with the fairy loop in the back, and uh, our new um, what do you call it? penny loafer things, and some people wearing their best blue jeans with black T-shirts and uh, chains in their pockets and a couple of tats, and uh, some of them serious greasers wearing silk suits, like you see in The Sopranos, okay? Like, uh, like um, Stevie, uh, st- is, uh, come on, from, the, uh, from Bruce Springsteen's band. Uh, thank you, Van Zandt. You know, uh, silk suits with these uh, white shirts that have collars on them that are this long. And they have these shiny kind of medallions in the weave Socks that you can see through, and these pointy leather shoes that are, you know, in the popular culture referred to as uh, fence climbers, or uh, things stiletto shoes that you could kill rats with in the corner, that kind of thing. So this is the the outfits of the people that are waiting to go to the dance. Okay, and we're all just hanging around there. And the, the thing about hanging around in in front of the Y is that this is you're you're waiting to go to a dance. The dance is a huge thing. But the problem with the dance is that if you can't dance, you will have an awkward time. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad. You'll be awkward if you can't dance. But you know, you kind of keep that aside and don't let that bother you while you're standing around goofing off waiting for the doors to open because you've got time to kill. And this story is really about what some bored teenagers figured out to do instead of getting fake IDs and going to New York City to drink, okay? At this time, the legal drinking age in New Jersey was 21. But if you got a fake ID, you could hop on a bus and be in New York City in 30 minutes where you could drink legally at 18. But we weren't into that. We were into smoking pot. So, we could do that anywhere. <laughs> and so, here we are, uh, hanging around in the front of the uh, steps of the Y. Incidentally, the name of this story is The Milk Race. M-I-L-K R-A-C-E. Doesn't have anything to do with milk trucks or uh, cows challenging you know, the um, farmer or anything like that. It has to do with your common breakfast table variety stuff, milk in a carton, okay? So we're hanging around on the steps of the wine. We know, some of us know, that between now, the time that we finish smoking this cigarette, and the time that the doors open for the band to start, that we could possibly get in one or two milk races. So here's what, here's what happens. Uh, imagine, again, we're on the front steps of a big building with an auditorium that holds probably mm, 2,000 kids. And so there's, you know, there's 300 people standing around just, you know, waiting for something to happen. So 10 or 15 of us walk across a major inner city artery to the other side of the street. Now, we're in a neighborhood where it's it's a very densely housed area, much more densely housed than this area, and on like Williamson Street or the main drag, which was Chancellor Avenue at the time. Chancellor Avenue goes on for miles and miles, and there's you know stores and houses all mixed in everywhere you go. So we're across the street from this sort of a setup where. There's a lot of little retail stores over there. And in the midst of these retail stores, there is this device which um, may not be known to you. It's called a freestanding milk machine. Now um, I found out today when I was rehearsing this story for my wife that she experienced the milk machine as a kid in Kenosha. So they were not unknown in the Midwest, but they're, they're really not that common. What a milk machine is, is it's, it's this milk carton dispensing device. It's about seven feet tall, and it's steel with aluminum sheathing on it. Uh, it weighs about as much as a vault full of gold bars. And so you can't tip it over really easily, and believe me, we tried. Um, and it's electrified. Refrigerator... It's a self-contained milk carton dispensing machine that's open 24 hours a day. So like uh, a milk machine here is just huge. Um, they would stand there on the street and like any time of the day or night, 365 days a y- a, wee- a year, you could go out and buy a quart of milk, which was particularly good, you know, before the advent of convenience stores. Um, you know, if you needed some milk for your coffee at 2 o'clock in the morning, you could just go across the street and put your, I don't know, it was probably about a buck eighty-five for, a, you know, half a gallon of milk at that time, in a paper carton, and it would come <laughs> out of the bottom of this machine. Uh, my wife said that uh, this was a particularly good diversion type of a destination, this machine, for her father to take her and her siblings out, like on Christmas Eve, as a really easy place to take all the kids for, you know, an hour. Although I don't know how far away the machine would have had to have been to distract you for an hour, but it, you know, it is Kenosha. Anyway, and while they were out, you know, Santa Claus would somehow arrive, and that would be, a, you know, a way to get the kids out of the house when Santa Claus was coming. We didn't think of that in Newark at the Y because we didn't know any Christian people at the time, but this was happening, you know, in another big city here in the Midwest. But I digress. Did I tell you that I escaped to Wisconsin when I was 17 and a half years old? Well, it's true. Okay, so here we are on Chancellor Avenue. We've crossed the street. Here's the milk machine. We know we've got some change in our pockets. And the leader of the milk race is standing on the other side of the street, and he happens to be the lead singer in the band. And then we're thinking to ourselves, oh yeah, that's right. Sometimes the milk race doesn't go so well, or something unexpectedly happens. And then the dance doesn't start on time, because this guy's been out playing the milk race. All right, so you're over there. Here's what it's about. Of the 15 people that have gone across the street... uh, Howie, the leader, says, okay, who wants to be in the race? So of those 15 people, say, six people say, yeah, I want to be in the race. Okay, great. So 15 people pool all the money they have, you know, come up with $2.75, maybe enough to get uh, uh, two quarts of milk. And the six people that are going to be in the race, they're standing over here by the uh by the um, milk machine, and the race course is like from here to the corner. It's like from here to Spade Street, okay? And so, um, get the uh, milk. Everybody who's gonna be in the race, the six people in the race, they each drink as much milk as they can, as fast as they can, okay? Uh, consuming all the milk which is made available, uh, two quarts of milk amongst six people. okay, And the last gulp of milk and you can 't spit, spit it out right away. Okay, And then the six of you immediately line up on a line in the sidewalk and get ready for the race. And then the leader, who is also in the race, Explains the rules, and in the process of explaining the rules, at least two people blow their blow their milk immediately. <laughs> and and in blowing their milk, remember we're all dressed up to go to a dance. So you know, a la the woman who was talking about the snot on her you know graduation gown. You know, some people's clothes get spoiled, but we all get along very well. And we don't blame each other. All right. So the six or the four people that are left. That are gonna be in the race. Here's the race. The race is to make it to the corner and back in a walking race. You are not to run and not spit out the milk. Okay? And, you know, this entire enterprise takes about three minutes. But the other people, okay, the other 12 or whatever people are, they are allowed to do anything except touch you in trying to get you to laugh to spit out your milk. Like they can run in front of you and make really ugly faces and you know, call you all sorts of names and they are there to harass you. And so, okay, so Howard says, go. Okay, and so we're all walking fast, but not running. And it, it, it is so difficult to keep a straight face when you are holding your breath with something in your mouth, uh, If more than two people make it back from the quarter corner, it's a miracle. It's just, you know, it just doesn't happen. But you get closer and closer to the end, and an an allowable win is to be crawling on the ground, looking at the ground so that you will not have anybody, you know, be able to look you in the face and spew your milk across the line. That is an allowable win and and so this is a milk race and you know it's a really kind of a stupid thing i mean <laughs> uh, it surprises me that i can remember it in this kind of detail but that's that's part of the the benefits of get, getting clean you know my memories come back <laughs> uh, about the strangest things and uh so this is where the the idea of the good the bad and the awkward comes in again because the whole thing is awkward, but this is a, an opportunity to you know show that you are good in, in a bad situation or awkward situation in, in urban life growing up, because really the race is much more important than the dance. But um, that's the story of the milk race, so thank you.
0: Thank you, Paul. Uh, man, all you people with your hard last names. <sighs> uh, please put your hands together. <laughs> I'm going to murder your last name, Jake. I, I'm sorry. Please put your hands together for Jake Shouldies.
8: Nice. Please Clap for Jake. That's perfect. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. All right. So I'm so glad that uh, Paul went, because uh, at the last break he invited me into the bathroom uh, to share there's two spots to go, and uh, I I reacted really strongly to that, um, and and told him no thank you. You'll get it a little bit later in this story. All right, so who here is uh, uh, state employees? Round of applause. Are there any supervisors of state employees? Okay, good. I'll keep my job. So I am. And I work at a secure facility for sex offenders up in Boston. I'm a supervisor of uh, treatment providers, I'm a therapist actually up there. And um, this is a really kind of strange place. It's it's definitely an awkward place to work. I need to set the stage a little bit. So this is the kind of place where you walk in uh, and you have to go through a bunch of uh, gates to get there. They go through your bags, they check. Uh, one of the things that they tell women is don't wear underwire bras, you have to go through the metal detectors. Despite all that, there's plenty of drugs and cell phones in this place, it's nuts. There's guys that run dating blogs from this uh, secure facility. So, here I am, I'm a therapist, I'm a social worker, and so I have a lot of compassion for the individuals I work with. That might sound really weird, um, but it's something that's really important when you're working with human beings. And everybody is, it has their strengths. <clears throat> So, I'm a supervisor in this place now and I don't know really what to do when I walk into my meeting and my staff, so there's a lot of weird discussion always going on. And my staff are having a conversation about whether or not um, camel toe implants are an actual thing. Because in the sex education group, the patients were talking about it. And what do you do as a supervisor at that point? I'll tell you what you do. You laugh. You laugh really, really (laughs) loud. And, you know, so, so there's a lot of really just awkward situations. Um, I, was, I was doing a sex ed uh, group one day, and this patient, um, he, so we have the diagram. I have this big, uh, we, we do a test, right, at the beginning of this, and, and they're expected to label the different parts of the human anatomy. And he screwed up the, 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 the clitoris and the, the anus. Now, I don't know if it's noticeable right now. My face turns really red when I'm embarrassed and nervous, Um, but I have to keep a a really flat affect as I'm thinking to myself, fuck, dude, that's a big mistake. (laughs) And I show compassion. Let me work with you. We we, we, We can do this together. So one of the shared awkward experiences of all the staff up at Sand Ridge is going to the bathroom because we're in a facility... Uh, a a secure facility, the bathroom doors don't lock. I mean, they do lock, but everybody's got a key to them. And so you have to knock real loud when you're using the bathroom, or when you're about to go in the bathroom. And so there's no real secure way to use the bathroom in the facility. Um, The other problem is is that the bathrooms are all in hallways. So I'm in a treatment mall with 50-some patients walking around. Now, again, remember, this is a facility for sex offenders. And they're walking around the, the, the hallway, and uh, the bathrooms are right there. So, one Christmas break, I, I don't know, I, I just had a lot of coffee or something that morning, and I decide, you know what, I'm gonna, what do I do with this? I'm going to write an article for the staff newspaper. That's the best thing to do with this, this weird awkwardness of using the bathroom. So I write, in, I, I write this, uh, this article, and I point out the fact that, for whatever reason, the staff bathrooms are always sticky. Now it's pretty fucked up that you're at a secure facility for sex offenders and the bathroom floors are sticky all the time. There's also a hell of a lot of pubes. I don't know what kind of fucking public restrooms these are, but they're really screwed up. Well, needless to say, my article came out. I was proud. I was. Everybody laughed at it. I was so excited. Here I am. I love the spotlight and about 15 minutes after the article came out uh, central office called and said you know you gotta pull that they didn't think it was so funny that I mentioned pubes and urine all over the 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 floor so it was too bad I was in the midst of actually applying for my supervisor position numerous people told me about how I was not going to get the job now that my article was actually pulled by the 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 secretary of the of uh, DHS Um, Fast forward about a year and a half later, I'm a supervisor, things are going well. My office is on the treatment mall now. Again, 50 students, uh, 50 patients uh, are, are, are on the, um, are on the, I also teach, so that's, ew, it's a big mistake. Um, uh, uh, 50, 50 patients are on the, the treatment mall, the bathroom's there. So the, the other thing about this place is there's only so many bathrooms and you have to share them. And, and, and it's not a small facility, and so you're walking about a quarter of a mile between the bathroom. So I really have to piss. I mean, like, I was just in a group for two hours, and I'm pounding coffee to stay awake, and I'm just, like, slogging down the hallway trying to find a bathroom that's not somebody in there, you know? So I'm pounding on the door, and, and then somebody yells out, no, occupied, and I go to the next door. So I finally find a bathroom that's available, and I'm sitting there, and I'm taking a piss, and uh, this is the good, right? So this is, thank God, I'm finally getting relief. And, um, and then you hear the knock on the door. So this is where your mind kind of freezes. Because what do you do? Do you yell, just a minute? Do you yell, Jesus, don't open the fucking door? So I don't know what I yelled, but I yelled really loudly. And then, again, you know, the first time, it's really fucking disruptive when you're trying to take a piss, right? So I'm sitting there trying to take a piss. And, uh, and then all of a sudden you hear the keys jingle. So everybody wears their keys on their belt. That's a large ring of keys because there's 15 doors that you need. You got to go through all your keys. You hear this shit and you start to get all anxious. But, I'm, I, but I really needed to piss. And I'm still going, everything's fine. I'm yelling. I, I'm thinking, well, maybe I should put my foot up and hold it against the door. Except it doesn't work because the door opens out. Which makes no sense because you can look right into the bathroom. Put a stall door. In any case... They, then I hear the keys against the lock, and the door opens, and I turn and piss everywhere. Now, if you've ever had to stand next to somebody that creeped you out at a, stall, at, at a urinal, um, there's this reaction in the bladder that basically cuts off all urine. But it's really uncomfortable when you're halfway through a piss. And uh, so that happened. Thankfully, there were, no, there were no patients out there. I, I wasn't. Uh, the staff person was, and it was super awkward. It still is. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, but I can't pee anymore. I really need to relieve myself. So I, I, I'm like, well, I'm just going to leave. But you can't walk into the same bathroom. So I had to find another one. And as I'm hobbling down the long hallway looking for another bathroom, I realize, well, shit, this is how piss gets all over the floor. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Please clap your hands for uh, Rosie Rickard. I'm pretty loud. Perfect.
1: Hello.
9: Don't worry, you can stop clapping. <laughs> um, so you know, Adam talked about earlier tonight. At around nine or ten, you reach that age where you learn, you know, like, sexual things are things. Um, Also, I don't want to disappoint. It's not about that. Uh, Also, around that age, you also tend to start to feel awkward for yourself, for other people. Um, So my story tonight is not me doing something awkward, which I do constantly, um, but more witnessing one of the more awkward things I have ever seen. So to set the backdrop, um, I grew up in upstate New York and we did family reunions every two years or so and would see my extended family. Um, At this family reunion, I was around 10. So starting to feel like a little awkward. Um, And two of my siblings come into play. uh, My older brother, Max, who is in high school at this point and my sister Annie, who is probably around middle school at this point as well. Um, So our field reunion is out in Chicago. So one of the great things that I miss about being in New York is we have trains everywhere. That is how we get from point A to point B. And there is a wonderful train that goes from Albany to Chicago. And that's where we needed to go. And it's this great double-decker train where you have your seating area, you have like the eating cart, and you also have like a recreational area that has, um, on the second floor, it's like all windows. So you get to see the countryside roll by as you waste a day, a day and a half of your life (laughs) going out to Chicago. Um, So with nothing else to do, Me and two of my siblings, Max and Annie, go up to that recreational area. Um, I am under their supervision and we find a nice spot. We're a little tired of looking at the scenery. We find a nice spot that has a TV set up that has a movie playing. Um, So I'm sitting in a solo chair, but there's like a love seat type area that uh, my brother and sister are sitting in. And you know, they're hamming around and Max really has to go to the bathroom. So he stands up and he looks at my sister and he says, don't you dare take my seat. Walks, goes to the bathroom, and uh, it's taking a while. Maybe it was taking a shit, I don't know. Um, but so Max is gone for a while. Annie decides he'll be back soon. So she says, all right, just wait here for Max. I'm gonna go get some food. So Annie leaves. And uh, this other young girl, uh, about the same age, comes in, uh, sits down in the same area. Um, I guess she's kind of tired because she lies down, uh, head down, in the couch cushion area. And uh, this is when Max finally returns. And all of this happens quicker than I can react with my ten-year-old mind. Um, So Max comes in, sees someone taking up the love seat that happens to look like my sister. And a look flashes across his face like, I told you. So he walks over and he decides he is going to sit on her head and repeatedly rub his butt in while saying, you like that? You like that? And and I am just staring back with wide eyes while this poor unassuming girl is disturbed in her sleep. But my brother also saying I told you not to do that so I guess i, I, I felt uncomfortable many times there are a few times that i felt this uncomfortable um, I guess he finally decides that my sister has had enough my sister so he gets up and oh boy when he turns around and this poor girl it's just the look of terror on her face and then his face is bug-eyed and all of of a sudden realizes Una's not my sister and and everyone's just paused for a minute we're all just keeping our station with our terrified faces (laughs) and he runs he runs (laughs) To go find our seats on the train Regardless of if he's supposed to keep track of me I pretend I do not know him (laughs) which is very reasonable I slowly eventually make my way back to the seats But this girl And her parents Are now looking on the train for some pervert (laughs) Who sits on middle schoolers' heads And says, do you like this? (laughs) And, uh we don't let them live it down to this day. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Rosie. So our next storyteller, when she got here tonight, I said, hey, you didn't sign up online, but you better sign up right now. And she said, no. Uh, And then at our first break, she signed up, and I'm so glad she did. Her name is Allison, so please clap your hands for Allison Frank (laughs) Brother.
10: All right, so um, despite the very cool, sophisticated, attractive girl you see before you today. um, my life has actually been one like long string of like self-imposed awkward encounters. So I'm just picking the most recent one, <laughs> well, the most like prevalent recent one to share with you. So, <laughs> um, like many um, y- early to mid 20s people who moved to Madison um, after college graduation, um, I work at Epic. So at Epic, there's a lot of people who fit the stereotype. <laughs> of sort of an awkward computer person. And so I'm not, I'm not like big into stereotyping, right, so everyone was like, oh, you're working at a software company, like, how's it going to be for you, you know, like a lot of people like are pretty awkward, they, like a lot of developers are pretty awkward, they like don't have social skills. I'm like, that's terrible, like that's such a stereotype, like that's not how it's going to be. Like, it is kind of how it is. <laughs> Uh, there's, there are definitely like, some great programmers like, in the world, at Epic, for sure. But um, you know, you can only have so many encounters where you like, literally bump into someone who's like, looking at their phone, and you say, oh, excuse me, and they just go... <laughs> or when you walk into a meeting and you're like, hi, how is everyone today? And you're just met with silence before you're like, okay, like, you guys might have missed out on like, some of the social skills that one needs to have. <laughs> um, so uh, a couple months ago, back in June, I think, uh, I had to go on a, on a trip for work. And if you work at Epic, you know what a go-live is, um, I know at least a couple of you do. If you don't work at Epic, it's basically just where you go to a customer site and you're like a glorified you know, IT person for like a couple days. Um, so I did one of these, and I'm in like a pretty low travel role. I'm in like a pretty like I'm a writer at Epic, so I don't I don't I don't know as much about the software as other people. I'm not really like as plugged in to like different customers and what they do. I like I'm just not really as into that. I only like travel once a year. So where I go for this trip is Carbondale, Illinois, which is not the most exciting, you know, attraction in the Midwest. And what I didn't think when I signed up to go to Carbondale was that that it it wasn't far enough away to be able to fly. I would have to drive. So it's like a seven-hour drive down to Carbondale. And I had to drive on down on a Sunday, which already just like completely sucked. I'm mean, gonna have to spend my whole Sunday basically working, driving down to Carbondale. So like I hate driving, I just, I don't like it. Um, so I specifically asked not to be a driver for this trip. So. I get to sign my driver, I'm like, no big deal, I'll just bring a book, I'll read, it'll, it'll be fine. So, so, first of all, I was supposed to get to Epic at 10 a.m. that Sunday to leave. And instead of, like, leaving to get there in time, I chose to, I guess you could call it, have the morning delight. So, <laughs> so um, I was, like, an hour late. I was an hour late. And... <laughs> I was the only one that this person was driving, and I only knew their name. His name was Drew B. And so before, like the night before, my boyfriend was like, you should ask him if anyone ever calls him Drew B. Doobie Doo. And I was like, I was like, that's funny. I'm going to ask him. That's funny. That's funny. That's good. So I get there, I'm an hour late, and I'm like, I'm really charming, I'll just apologize and it'll be fine. So I'm like, hey, sorry, I'm an hour late, and you were waiting in this basement parking garage for me for an hour on Sunday morning. <laughs> and like, he wasn't very happy, but I totally understood. So like, I didn't have, I didn't have a chance to get coffee before we left, and just like basic. If you're driving for more than like 20 minutes, you need coffee. <laughs> So I'm like, hey, like, if it's okay with you, could we just, like, stop for coffee? Like, just swing by a McDonald's or something, you know? Or no, I didn't say that at first. Like, can we just stop for coffee before we go? He's like, oh, well, we're we're kind of in a hurry. We need to get there, you know, before dark. Like, okay, we're not camping. We're staying in a hotel. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but I was like, I was like, I was like, no, it's okay, like, it's okay, like, we don't have to go to, like, Starbucks or anything, like, we can just swing by McDonald's, you know, there's one right there, literally, it was right there, like, we could have just driven in, driven out, just, like, a two-minute delay, and he goes, and I'm like, so sick coffee, is that okay, and he just, like, without saying anything, just, like, pulls into McDonald's, and uh, like I should also say I probably like made things a little awkward to begin with cuz I asked if I could sit in the back seat yeah. but,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
10: but like I don't know why actually I was going to give a reason but I don't know why I asked so we like drive in like he's like at the drive through window and she's like, hi, what can I get for you today? And so I, like, roll down the window, and I lean all the way out. I'm like, hi, yeah, could I get, like, just a large coffee? <laughs> and she's like, oh, sure. So I get the coffee. And then I'm like, okay, you know, morning after the rest start, I was an hour late, whatever. Like, he didn't want to get my coffee. That's fine. Like, it's fine, though. I was like, you know what, we'll just, like, talk for maybe, like, an hour, just so we're not, you know, driving up in silence. And then I'll just read for a while. Like, I'll read the rest of the way, and that's fine. So... I don't think that uh, she's here anymore, but I, I don't really know my Myers-Briggs type, but I know for sure, honey, I'm an E. Like, I'm big time an E. And also, I need to be liked. <laughs> so, so I was like, you know, like, I'll just make conversation with him. And oh, wow, I got to tell you, it was, an, it was not easy. I was like, so how was your shortened weekend? He's like, oh, well, I worked all weekend. So, like, I don't know. And I was like, oh, no, that's too bad. Like, what was going on? And, again, this, like, maybe won't mean anything to people who worked at Epic. He was like, yeah, I was I was QAing a log. I don't even know if you know what that means. <laughs> I was like, no, like, I know what that means. Like, it's, like, it's fine. I'm not st- stupid. Like, I know. So, like... We're, we're driving in silence and like it's silent for a while and I'm, I'm just thinking like, no, like we're going to talk. We're going to have a conversation. So I'll just ask him something else. And I was like, you know don't, don't mention the weather. Like that's a really like just stereotypical and trying to make conversation kind of thing. Like Don't, don't say, oh, it's a nice day out. Um, something else. So I'm like, oh, this is good. Man, this is a nice new car. <laughs> and so we were driving a rental car. I was like, these, these rental cars, they're always so nice. And he was like, Yeah, I recently got a new car. My old car was totaled by a drunk driver. And <laughs> and that was the most personal information he shared with me for like this whole like seven hour drive. Just spoiler alert. I was like, Oh no, that's terrible. And he was like, Yeah, I was fine though. And I was like, That's good. I'm really that's great. I'm I'm glad. So like it just kind of goes on for a while. Like I try to kind of make conversation. He he just gives me like kind of a one word response. And I'm just like, okay. Like, he doesn't want to talk. That's fine. So, it gets around lunchtime, and I'm like, know, oh, I'm getting kind of hungry. And he's like, oh, where'd you like to stop for lunch? And I was like, oh, you know, it really doesn't matter to me. Like, I'm not a picky eater. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm like a vegetarian, but I'm, like, I can find something to eat anywhere that we go. It's fine. And I was, he was just like, okay. And I was pretty hungry. And it seemed like we weren't going to stop. So I started listing things. I was like, like, Subway is fine. You know, Jimmy John's is fine. Taco Bell is fine. Like, anything is good with me. So we don't go to any of those places. Instead, we go to this, I I guess it's probably a thing in Southern Illinois, because we saw, like, a couple signs for them as we were driving. But we stopped at this place called Woody's Family Diner. And it is a diner with, like, really kitschy 1950s decorations like cardboard cutouts like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and that kind of thing that's attached to a gas station and he's like that looks good let's go there and I was like you want to go to a sit-down restaurant and he was like it looks interesting and I was like okay so we we go to this he was like and now we won't have to you know stop again to get gas we'll just already be there and I was like, yeah, that's really efficient. Let's go to Woody's Family Diner. So we pull in, and we show up, and there's, like, no one in there. Like, the booths are, you know, really sticky. The tables are really sticky. It's, it's a gas station diner. Like, I don't need to say more. So we go, and, like, we sit down at the booth, and the guy's like, oh, I'll be here to take your order in a second. And I'm just sitting across from him in the booth, and I was like, we haven't ordered yet. And I'm just like, okay, so we're having a sit-down lunch together. Like, we have to talk. So I was like, So, what are some of your hobbies? And he was just like, Um, hobbies? And I was like, What do you like to do in your free time? And I was like, I know you know what hobbies mean. Please answer. <laughs> and he was like, I like video games. Do you like video games? And I was like, No, I don't really play video games. And he goes, And I was like, well, have you seen any good movies lately? No. And I'm like, I don't think, is this still working? Uh, Oh, I can talk loud. And I was, (laughs) okay, and I was like, you know, I haven't seen any good movies recently either, but you know, the new Wonder Woman movie, that looks kind of cool, you know, like it's, you know, directed by a woman, it stars a woman, like that'd be really cool. And he just goes (sighs) And I'm like, oh, do you not like comic book movies? And I mean, I'll be honest, like I'm not really like into comic books. I don't have anything against them. I'm just I just don't know a ton about you know comic books. And he was like, it's just like a really sexist story. And I don't know what he meant. I don't know if he meant. It was sexist against women, sexist against men. And I just like don't know enough about comic books to like really have a conversation with him about this. So I was like, oh, interesting. I'll have to learn more and get back to you. And it just kind of goes on like that, where I'm like, okay, fine. Like, you don't want to talk. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to sit here. And then, like, two minutes would pass. And I would just be like, so, you mentioned that your girlfriend was in the car when you were hit by the drunk driver. Um, How long have you guys been dating? (laughs) About three years. Wow, that's really cool. Where did you guys meet? Metalfest. Wow, that's fun. <laughs> and so, like, I just kind of mind every trick in the book to just, like, start a conversation. Have you read any good books lately? I don't like reading. <laughs> oh, okay, that, that's fine. I, I mean, I guess in some ways video games are kind of like a narrative of their own. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's an hour-long lunch that kind of goes on like that with just, like, a lot of intermittent silence. And so, like, in Epic, we have different, you know, applications. It's like, oh, so what application do you write for? Or do you – I'm a writer. He was not. What application do you develop for? (laughs) And he he told me. And my friend Haley, who's here tonight, she, like, writes for that application. I was like, oh, no way. Like, my friend Haley, she writes for that. Do you know her? And he was like, yeah, I worked with her on something – Like, since you're friends with her, do you, like, know a lot about the functionality? And I was like, we don't really talk about functionality when we're hanging out. Like, I don't know much. He's like, oh, yeah, we worked together on this this project. I don't know if she told you about it. And, like, the project's name, it kind of rang a bell in my head. I was like, oh, you know what? She did mention that to me. She said, like, I remember her saying, like, oh, man, like, this is just, like, a lot of work. It's coming at a really bad time for me. And he was like... Um, what do you mean? It came at a bad time for her. we had been planning this project for months. Did she not know about it? Did she not go to the meetings? And I was just like, not the point of what I'm trying to say. I was like, you know what? Just forget I said anything. Like, don't, just let's erase that. So, you know, it's an hour lunch. You get back in the car. We drive and I'm like, we're not talking anymore. Forget it. So we pull up to the hotel. And I'm like, thank God, like this is over, you know? And it's just like a Staybridge Suites or something. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm I'm staying at the Holiday Inn. It's just right down there. And you could see the Holiday Inn sign just like down the highway from where we were. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. It's the, the Holiday Inn on Blue Heron Drive. Like we're on Blue Heron Drive, right? He's like, yeah, I don't think you're staying there. And I was like, no, I am. Like it was emailed to me, I'm staying there. And he's like, that's really weird that we wouldn't be staying at the same hotel. Are you sure you're staying there? I was like, yes, I know. I'm staying there. He was like, can you just check your email and double check for me? Because I don't think you're staying there. And I was like, no, I am. I don't need to check. And he was like, <sighs> I was like, okay, I'll check. But we have to go into this hotel and like, log into their Wi-Fi because I don't have my work email on my phone. And he was just like, are you serious? You don't have your work email and your phone? I was like, no, okay, I'll like go in, I'll check. So I checked my email, and I was like, yeah, see, I'm staying at the Holiday Inn. And he was just like, oh, okay, I'll drive you there. And so we get in the car, we drive me there. And he and like I never saw him again. I did see him once. I saw him eating lunch alone, and I felt slightly sad that his Metal Fest girlfriend wasn't there. But that... It's just an example of how spending seven-plus hours in the car with someone you don't know too well, who's not really that interested in talking to you, can kind of make for a pretty bad road trip. And that is my awkward story.
0: (laughs) Hey, that's it for us today on the Madison Story Slam podcast. Again, these stories were from our September event, The Good, The Bad, and The Awkward I know you must have enjoyed all of them so very much. It's just that easy. I don't know why I keep referencing the easy story that my father told, but you know, it is what it is. Hey, I want you to come to Madison Story Slam October 21st, At the Wilmar Center, the theme is Halloween. Our costume contest theme is film and television. So come as your favorite character from film or television, or maybe both. You can do costume changes during the event. Uh, We've got some prizes for you if you win. We've got some prizes for you if you win the storytelling contest. We also have some prizes that you can buy raffle tickets for. And again, big thanks to Marcus Productions for supplying those uh, tickets to uh, that thing at the Overture Center. It is the Coral Kingdoms and something about ice. I'm, you know, the tickets aren't in front of me anymore. You'll just have to come on October 21st. That's Saturday, October 21st, to find out what those tickets are for. Or maybe just rewind back to the mid-roll ad and find that out. But again, thanks to Marcus Productions for that and their support of Madison Story Slam and what we do. Check them out, footlights.com. And uh, hey, we're going to get back on track and schedule and uh, be more regular with our podcasts now that we're back in the full swing of things. I love you, and I'll see you next time.